Well, as I mentioned at the start, today is a special day in the life of the church because we it's the first Sunday of Lent. It's also the first Sunday of a new sermon series that we're doing where we're calling it um, Ordering Disorder. And I want to say something about both of those and kind of launch into our sermon series um, this morning. And when we start talking about Lent, uh, Mother Amy read that sort of historical perspective of how Lent started. Sometimes we might also think about some of the biblical patterns that Lent picks up on because, you know, we're heading off into 40 days um, of, of Lent, but we also look back and think about how you see these various times in the Bible where there are periods of trials and testing and teaching and preparation around this number 40, right? I mean, some people will say even the flood was that way for the 40 days, but certainly like the Israelites heading out into the desert for the 40 years as being a time of testing and trial and teaching and preparation and all that. And, it's, and of course, today we get straight up how Jesus is led out by the spirit into the, into the desert for 40 days where he's going to be tested and have trials and all this. It's really ultimately preparation for what's going to happen in the rest of his uh, ministry, public ministry, what's going to go on with that. And we want to stop and look at some of that um, today and how we do it. When we talk about Lent, part of what Lent is about is we are voluntarily going into the desert for 40 days. That's part of what it's meant to be, this time of trial and testing and preparation. We're doing that voluntarily. And there are a number of major themes that we have historically looked at. I want to say something about Lent before I turn to the this series, but... The big part about Lent is us stopping to look at our, the sinfulness of our lives in a deeper way and some of our spirit and our spiritual lives as well and the patterns. And we've talked about this before, but when we talk about sin, we're really talking about anything in your life that pulls you away from God, pulls you away from your fellow humans, or pulls you away from your true self. Those are kind of the, the way I would define sin and, um, so we're reflecting on those things. And, and we do that every week at some level, right? Every week we, we do a confession. We sometimes take some quiet for that, but we, we, we confess all these things that we know. But Lent goes deeper. It's meant to be a deeper dive. And I think the two, I mean, there are many things we could do, lots of different ways we could reflect on this. There are two things I would suggest at a minimum that we do. I mean, apart from just our own deeper reflection, our own sinfulness in general, but one of these is to stop and think about the ways that we have become numb to sin in our lives. And I think this happens, maybe I'm going to get a little, little personal the way, it, the way it happens, but I think for us it happens when we either know something is sinful and we somehow just say, I'm not going to look over there because I know I, if I look over there, I'll be convicted and I don't want to look. So we just kind of become numb and we just don't want to even look there. Or we begin to think, well, you know, it's not that bad. Everyone's doing it. Or we begin to think, um, well, I've got some justification for it, whatever it is. I, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to talk in terms of a diet than it is about the moral life. But it's like, oh, I really deserve that loaded ice cream sundae because it's been such a hard week or it's been whatever, you know. And we kind of do that sometimes, I think, in our moral lives as well. But this idea that Lent is part of it is meant to be a pause to say, where have we become numb? And where have we just sort of intentionally, we know it deep down in our hearts, but we've, we've kind of just walked by it without looking at it or all these different kinds of things. That's part of it. I think the other part of it is that we don't stop to think about very much is to, to what extent we participate 
in bigger sinful things with no lament, with no change, with, with not even much reflection. Sometimes people call this institutional sin, this idea that we participate in patterns and power structures and all these things that are not right. They are things, they are power structures and things that are pulling us from God, pulling us from our fellow humans, pulling us from our, our true selves that we participate in. And sometimes with callousness, we don't even stop to think about it, right? I mean, whether it's something we participate in that's not really living into our baptismal vow of respecting the dignity of every person, or it's not something about loving your neighbors yourself. Like you're like, no, I don't care about that. I want, you know, my, whatever it is. And I think as we, you know, I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb just a touch, but as we head into a very political year about not compartmentalizing and asking the question, where's God and how you're going to vote on stuff? Where's God in all these different things? Like, you know, is it, is it about your tax rate? Or is it about what's going to promote God's kingdom the most? You know, all these big, difficult questions, at least to stop and think and allow the Holy Spirit to engage you. But oftentimes we can just put up walls. And sometimes we do this also, you know, with our, our Sunday, um, you know, Sunday, we're willing to think about all these things, but are we willing to carry these things into Monday? Are we willing to talk about what it means to be a Christian on Monday with how you're going to deal with the people that you work with? or your subordinates, or whatever it is. These are the kinds of deep questions you want to stir up and think about and pray about during the season of Lent. All right, so that's the bit. And all of that is meant to lead us to a place of repentance. And if you remember, repentance is a word that simply means that you're going to turn from things, that there's this metanoia thing. You're going to turn from whatever it was before. That's part of what Lent is, okay? That's all I want to say on Lent. But this sermon series that we're starting today, this ordering of disorder it's not just talking about turning. It's beginning to ask the question, what are we turning to? Like, what is, what does God want for you that's going to allow you to flourish and allow you to get to a deeper place spiritually and to live life on a different plane? What is it that has gone wrong that's become disordered that if we can get back to it will help us live the way God wants us to live? Not just avoiding sinful stuff, but finding the good stuff he wants for us. And flourishing that way. That's what this sermon series is about. And I got to say this. So the architect of this sermon series was our rector, um, Father Chris, who, who came up with this idea. And if I was going to start this from scratch, I would start with what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do this sermon series based on the lectionary, the readings that are assigned. And I just love that today's reading goes right where I was praying it would go. At least I think it does. I want to talk today about thinking about who we are as the most fundamental thing of living out our faith, who we are. And we've said this before. I think I said it last summer at one point, but we live in a society today in a culture today that wants to give you lots of answers about who you are. And I'm going to give you what I think are the three most common things that the society is going to say about who you are, your identity. The first of which is that you are what you do. And it's this idea that it's all about our accomplishments and all about the things that we do. And it's really hard to get away from it, right? I mean, I had a friend of mine a number of years ago who kind of challenged me when you're going to a party or some event where you're meeting people and um, these people you don't know, he challenged me to say, don't ask people what they do. And I was like, it's really hard not to do that. I mean, it's really hard not to do that because we're all about what we do. 
And I also think about sort of the metrics we place on ourselves. Um, in my day job, I've got some metrics I track each week. And like last week, my metrics were way down and I found myself th- feeling lesser, you know, cause it's like I had certain goals about what I wanted to do. I didn't make those. And the problem with us basing our identity on what we accomplish or we do is it's always going to be subjective that way. If we fall, if we have a week where we fall below those metrics, we're feeling bad. If we, if we're above it, we're feeling great, but that's, I'm going to go there in a minute, but that's not where we're meant to be. Right. The second thing I think sometimes that we focus on in our identity is just what people say about us. We're all about, we want to hear good things said about us. Right. And, and the, the thing that's worse than that is it's not just that, but we're wired to where we want to hear good things and, and, but the negative things really stick with us. Right. I mean, I can think about many examples of this. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon. It was kind of out of my, what I, what I normally do, but I had like, God blessed it. I don't know what it was, but I had like three people tell me at the door, oh, it's one of the best sermons I've heard. The next day I had somebody who's very loving and sweet and, I, and I, I'm very grateful for it, but it sent me like a one page email telling me all the stuff that was wrong with it. <laughs> and you know, the way we're wired all week, I didn't think about the three people who'd said that thing about me. I thought about that one email all week, you know, that's just the way we're wired. We want, we want people to like us. We want, we want the praises. Or I think about someone else last week who had something good to say, but then later, a few days later said something really kind of harsh and, and that's what sticks with us. You know, that's, that's, but that's one of the things that our society will tell us that your worth, your identity is about what people think and say about you. And the third sort of major thing I think is, is what we have. Lots of people in society want to tell you that your identity is what you have. And it's not, it's possessions they'll say, but it's also your health and your education and your family and your whatever. And the problem with that is, of course, that when any of that changes, it can drop us to the floor, right? I mean, if there's whatever you're accomplished, if you're, if you suddenly have some financial strait you hit and you lose stuff, you're, you're suddenly like your whole person's changed, you know, or all these different ways. And all these different things are like that. All of them are things that, that come and go and change. And part of what we did on Ash Wednesday is remind ourselves that we're mortal and that we're going to die and all these things aren't going to matter, right? You're dust and to dust you shall return. And when you go to dust, you're not going to do. When you go to dust, it won't matter what people are saying and it's not going to matter what you have. So it's kind of a, a, a false deal. And with that, I want to turn and go to our gospel lesson today. And when you look at our gospel lesson today, where Jesus heads out into the desert, I don't, I think to really dig down into that, we have to back up and just remind ourselves of the passage that, that was right before this thing happened today, right? Jesus, this is going to be the start of Jesus's ministry in a lot of ways, but he has come to John the Baptist out in the desert, out of the Jordan. And after they have this little bit of discussion about, no, I can't baptize you and all this, John ultimately baptizes John in the river Jordan. And it's this huge moment because Jesus is going to identify with our sinfulness. But you get this moment where the Trinity is involved in it all, right? Because there's this moment where God, the son is going into the water, comes out. You see this visible symbol of the Holy Spirit coming down on him. And then you hear the words of God, the father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Then we, then he goes out into the desert and we get our gospel that we read today, which I want to go into the things happen in the desert in a second. But I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. What 
God the Father said about Jesus, he says about you. And there are lots of passages to back what I'm going to say on this, but, but you are a son and a daughter of God. There are lots of places that say that. I mean, you think about Romans 8 saying, it's the spirit that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, and to know that we're children. Or you think about, there are many, many different passages of scripture that will talk about how we're the beloved of God. That we're his children and that, and that we're loved. And, you, and I'm, I'm not going to read a, a bunch, but I'll read a few. I mean, I think about just Jesus saying, as the father has loved me, so I've loved you, that he loves you. Or in 1 John, that God has shown us his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, no, sorry, it's from Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, he loved us and Christ died for us. I mean, he loves us. I mean, you, there are a lot, I mean, I could line up 15 passages talking about how you're the beloved of God and passages that talk about how you're a daughter and how you're a son of God. And that's, the, that's our identity. That's the place we live from. That doesn't change from the time you're born to the time you die. That does not change and goes on. It is the place. But it doesn't mean that the world isn't going to constantly test you on that and try to lure us to these other things. And that's what happens today with Jesus, I think. Jesus has heard this word, God the Father, saying, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Spirit leads him out into the desert for a time of trial and testing and preparation. And Satan comes to him and says, the first thing he says to him is, you know, you really need to do something because it's all about what you do. Why don't you change these rocks into bread and you'll do something big. You'll be something then. And then he goes on and says uh, in the second temptation that he brings to him, he says, why don't you takes him to the center of town, to the top of the temple and stuff and says, why don't you uh, drop off of here and the angels will catch you. But you're in this crowded place around the temple and people are going to be like, whoa. And they're going to talk about what happened. You came off, the angels caught you. You're going to be the big thing. So that's the second. And the third final temptation he gives is say, all you got to do is bow down and worship me and you can have everything. You see everything out there, everything. You can have everything that you'll have. And Jesus hears all those and comes back consistently and says, lie, lie, lie. It's not about any of that. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus has that identity and he, he has this, he clings to knowing his identity as the son, knowing he's the beloved of God, the father. And that's what he holds on to. And I want to suggest that if we go look at his public ministry from there forward. That's where he's living. When he gets people saying he's great and throwing palms down and doing whatever else, it doesn't go to his head in different ways because he knows exactly who he is and what he's about. When people betray him and spit on him and do all this other stuff to him, call for him to be crucified, all this, he knows exactly who he is and it doesn't change. And he keeps walking that way. And I think when we talk about ordering disorder for us, it's about coming back to where, as we face all these trials of life, of living knowing that we're the beloved, of, of coming back and just holding on to how much God loves you. He's loved us from the start. He's loved you, known you since your mother's womb, and living from that place. And the more we lean into and reorient our lives to understand that we're the beloved, I think it changes how we live. Because we're still going to face pain. We're still going to face broken relationships. We're still going to face 
tragedies and trials and all these different things, but it's going to be different when we're living it from a place of seeing how we're beloved. It will be, it will be a different experience from that place, a different grounding, a different anchor, a different experience altogether. So I think part of our ordering the disorder is, is to figure out how we're going to cling to that, right? And hold on to that and develop that and nurture that within us. Cause, cause again, the world is going to keep, the world is tough and things are going to go wrong and things are going to go sideways and all these different things. And we're going to have, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, things that happen in our work, things that happen in our families, things that happen in relationships, miscommunications, the bad text, whatever it is, all the different stuff that happens. And we stay anchored, allowing God's love to pour over us, know who we are and to live from that perspective. So as we enter off into Lent, as we start this sermon series, I want to invite you to think about the things we're turning from and to take a deep dive on thinking about the way we've become numb to the different things and think about how we need to repent and turn. But I really want to think about turning towards and leaning into just resting in the being the beloved, accepting how much God loves you and make that our root and our anchor in the place from which we live. Cause it'll change how we order our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you, that you love us so much. You love us from the time before we took our first breath. You love us. Even when the world throws us hard stuff, you love us, whether we do things or don't do things. You cover us in your grace. Lord, help us by your spirit to claim that, to hold that, and to live that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.